Support. Support. Support for this podcast is brought to you by the The Kellogg Innovation Entrepreneurship Initiative. Think bravely. Think differently. Think collaboratively. I think one of the things entrepreneurs will always feel is that they're fighting a lone battle. And which is, I think is true. A lot of times you're really taking things on your own and you have to fight that, fight that battle. But having that kind of a community where you can rely on really give you that that the support that you need. Hello, you're listening to My Startup Journey, a show that highlights the business and individual stories of innovators, educators, and Kellogg students. My name is Naruki Harai, the host of My Startup Journey. In this episode called Level Up Your Startup, we check in with Lance Lee, the CEO of Aerospec Technologies, a renewable energy analytic firm utilizing drone technology. We discuss updates from his first interview, the growing pains of scaling a startup, and the pressure of pitch competitions. Your personal story is pretty interesting because you immigrated to the United States from China. and then um, you went to UT Austin. Yep. Then went to Harvard. Mm-hmm. And then went for your MBA. Yep. And now you created this company, <laughs> right? And so that's kind of to get to get people up to speed. That's where you've sure, sure. I that, think that's your career path. It's sort of sequential, also concurrent. Yes. So yeah, the idea of Aerospec was born when I was at Harvard, and then I took it, and then um, I found the company, and then I came to Kellogg. company description I think as a nature of startup that that changes so much our company description also changes as well um, we in the business school tend to call it pivoting uh, which is very true so what we're doing right now is definitely using uh, data analytics um, specifically focused on drone data in the renewable energy industry to help um, asset maintenance to be more efficient and then to make it smarter and that's just in a nutshell of what we do um, and the description could be actually a little bit different from what I, what I talked about last episode, and that's how much just has has changed since uh, since last summer, I think. Okay, and then uh, during the last episode, it seems like you were still trying to get this project up and running. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me a little bit about how you staffed up, uh, and then what you started to focus on? Um, and then any changes that you made in terms of the, the pivoting? Sure, sure. I think when I was uh, interviewing in the last episode, I had to say that I was basically a one-man team. I had um, the company founded. The company was founded in the fall of two thousand fifteen, and then by by the summer of 2016, we had about eight people full-time, but most of them in full-time interns. Um, at the time, I gave up on a $1 million investment fund investor uh, because I thought that he was asking for too much, and then I was having a lot of confidence in terms of where we can get to. And um, we usually have 20-20 hindsight. Uh, the fact is that one hour when my team interns left, they're exceptionally smart people. But when they left, I was I was left with a uh, couple guys, and we weren't able to generate revenue uh, early soon enough to sustain our operations. 
and then going to 2017 was very, very hard. Um, and my first couple co-founders basically left to have their full-time job. Um, I was, I was really, um, I think, exploring ways I could um, make this work. And it, I think every day was a struggle. And that's really when the first episode took place. Um, and even over the summer, I was able to recruit uh, a few interns out of Northwestern. Uh, a couple of them from engineering school. I think one of them from the from the design school. So that was pretty good. That was generating a lot, a little bit of um, uh, a good traction. I think that's when I also took uh, the the sales entrepreneur selling class from Craig, and then and then I learned a lot from him, doing a lot of uh, cold calling and also just creating this initial database of potential clients that we will have. How did you pivot? Because you talk about pivots, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. How did you pivot? from your idea in the summer into what it is now? What, what were the major aspects? Of course, yeah. of course. It, originally, it was a drone as a service business model. So basically, uh, for example, I, I will be acting as a pilot and then I will go to solar asset owner saying, hey, I'll inspect the site for you for this price and uh, let me do it. But what I found is that either clients are um, unwilling to move because it's a new technology or they have their own internal drone team. So there's just nothing special about what I have to offer. Like I wasn't, I wasn't in the solar industry for the past 10, 20 years to have a very strong network or I, didn't off, I don't have some proprietary secret sauce type of technology that nobody else has. Right? Those are the two main factors that can, you can stood out, but that, this, those weren't there. But because I was actually got some pilots pilot projects I was able to do, I kind of, I understood even using drone as a service, there's actually a few pain points I was able to identify. But at the time, I don't have the resources to realize it. Um, what I mean is through the, the post-processing of the drone data. It actually requires a lot of manual work and it's inefficient. And actually, you're not really providing, providing a lot of value added to provide drone as a service without the data integration part of it. So that idea was really born in the spring of 2017 and then going to the summer, that's where I really want to go to. But what I was missing was really to have this technologically savvy and um, and like a lot of engineers, that's engineers that's, that can help me to realize uh, this product. So so to not, not get too technical, but from, mm-hmm. from what I understand, it seems like you shifted from actually piloting the drones and managing the entire end-to-end, right, or beginning-to-end, um, fly the drone, get the data, man, uh, capture the data, right, uh, and then process the data and then interpret the results to, now you're just in the space of um, looking at the data. Processing. Processing the Processing, data. interpreting, and then delivering insights to the clients. Okay. And which be- uh, which is the reason why uh, this this segment of the value chain has a lot more, um, I think, usability and also uh, technology, like a proprietary technology involved. Mm, the hardware part is easy. You just get a drone or pilot, just fly it. I'll, I'll pick up a drone, you know, at Walmart or something. <laughs> you technically you could. Walmart does sell some of the drones actually been used in the field. You'll be surprised. And I, I was surprised too. Wow. Mm-hmm. Great. And so you talk about your team then. So a lot of coders, right? Engineers and yeah. in, in, in coding. That's basically where you staffed up. Mm-hmm. Okay. Exactly. Um, and along the way, 
It seems like you're getting some interest amongst the entrepreneurial community here in Chicago. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about the various groups that you were affiliated with before CET? Sure, sure. Yeah, um, I think at first um, we were selected as one of the two um, startups that was incubated by Prisca Group. And um, they only select four startups a year, two from Northwestern, two from University of Chicago as their incubating program. And Prisca, as everybody knows, is one of the largest uh, VC groups in, in the Midwest area. And we really worked side by side with the group uh, for entire three months last summer. And I guess they are seeing something we're doing is right that they decided to, uh, to invest it in us. And that's the first group. And then being at the, being at the 1871 community, um, that, was, that was very helpful because everybody there are in startups. And then, um, and then upstairs is all the, all the venture, venture groups. And uh, secondly, we were also part of the garage last summer as well. The garage was the Northwestern's uh, incubating space, and that was very, very helpful. And then, um, the, I mean, the startup circle is not that big in Chicago, but it's very um, active. Uh, I see a lot of, uh, a lot of young, aspiring um, entrepreneurs. And being able to be um, on the Kellogg platform with a lot of uh, professors who came from similar backgrounds and they were able to really guide me to the different groups um, that has opened doors. It really does take a community to help bring entrepreneurs and startups up? I think one of the things entrepreneurs will always feel is that they're fighting a lone battle and which is I think is true a lot of times you're really taking things on your own and you have to fight that fight that battle um, but having that kind of a community where you can rely on a lot of times um, it, it really give you that that the support that you need uh, at a times where you're thinking that can I actually do this you can you can't imagine how many times I've been telling my mentors or advisors being like, I don't think I can do it. Like that that has happened and multiple times. And I think it's it's fortunate that I'm at where I am today. What kept you going? I think it, the turning point was at the end of the summer where my co founder I found through a mutual entrepreneur network where uh, because my two interns, my two interns from the summer were leaving and then I thought that I was going to be back again with one person. So I really thought that it's going to be too tough for me to carry on. Um, and, and, and then so I, I was my last, I guess my last chance going was I'm going to look for someone who willing to do this full time with me. And it was fortunate that I found this person, my co-founder. He, um, he's actually lived in, lives in Boston when I reached him and um, I interviewed him, I talked with him many times and then I, I told him that if he wants, he's, he's really interested in our company at first and then if he wants to come, he has to come to Chicago to vote full time. Um, but he actually has a, he actually has a wife and a four year old daughter that's in Boston. So that would mean that he has to leave his family behind and he was actually taking care of his daughter at the time. So. I was surprised that he 
decided he was going to come. I, I warned him that, that I was being very, very candid with him in terms of where we are as a company. And then if he come, like it, it couldn't be, it could be end up being nothing or it could be like right now. So he considered and we talked more and then he came. So that commitment really gave me a huge boost of confidence and, and optimistic. Uh, I thought someone willing to do this with me now that we start from one person to two and then as he get on board he really helped me uh, recruit a few other few other um, engineers that we have right now so we have a team of seven and and as you recruit more members of your team you're switching into more of a selling role yeah and I know that we both talked about entrepreneurial selling taught by professor Craig Wartman how has that class helped you in terms of selling this idea? Sure. I think twofold. One is it changed my mentality of selling. Two is it changed um, my view of selling as a profession. So mentality means you just got to be thick face, man. Like selling is tough. B2B business, the sales cycle can last from 6 to 18 months. One of the clients that actually closed, I thought it was a really successful close, it took me six plus months to develop that relationship. But selling is tough. I think the exercise of cold calling uh, really helps. You know, you don't know what you're going to get into, but you know that on the other side of the phone, people are going to hang up on you or they might say some mean things. But out of my surprise, not that many people say mean things. They might hang up on you, but uh, some of them are really willing to talk. So. That was a good exercise. And the other side is, I think Craig's class gave you that framework. Selling actually is a very um, principled uh, work. You follow a set of framework uh, workflow to have the highest chance of success. When we return, we'll hear about Aerospec's journey to enter the $50,000 Clean Tech University Prize. You are listening to My Startup Journey. Hi, my name is Willie Stewart, and I'm playing Kajillion Dollars, where Kellogg students introduce their creative, successful business ideas. I'm a weekend student from Lexington, Kentucky. I'm in my fourth quarter at Kellogg and currently work for a single family office in Dallas, Texas. Here's my idea. One problem I have in my daily life is being able to communicate with my Amazon Alexa and Siri devices from inconvenient places such as the shower or outside by the pool. My idea is to create a wireless, waterproof, rechargeable microphone that connects to your smart speakers or smartphone, which I would call the speakeasy. You can put the smart microphones in the shower or outside by your pool, enabling you to easily change the song or create a note to write down your own kajillion dollar idea that you thought up in the shower. As of 2018, just over 20% of people have a smart speaker in their home. Also, 19% of U.S. adults listen to music when they take a shower, and 16% of residences have pools, providing for a very large initial target market to which to sell. My name is Willie Stewart, and that is my kajillion dollar idea. We learned about Lance's challenge to establish a data-driven team. But now, Lance is faced with a new growth opportunity to pitch his startup to potential investors. Great, and how did you get introduced to Clean Energy Trust? Mm -hmm. So we were actually part of the Northwestern's Venture Cat competition last 
May and I was fortunate enough to won the energy track and, and the one of the finalists at the venture cat competition. At the time we were assigned a few mentors. One of the mentors was actually EM. Uh, EM was the chief of staff at uh, Clean Energy Trust and I worked with him back then. Um, and um, he was really helpful. Um, their office is actually at Civic Opera's building. Um, so I met him a couple of times and then got his, uh, got his, got his feedback and that's when we really started initiate the contact and i think that's one thing you learn at your startup career is you always want to keep your keep your contacts updated on what you guys are doing it doesn't have to be when you when you go public anything small big you should keep them updated just say hey having haven't haven't checked in this is what we're at what we're doing so that's where i cut in touch with ian and then that's um um that's when the CET had the uh, Clean Energy Trust University Prize. He reached out, and be like, "Hey, we have this, we have this prize. Are you are you interested?" And also, um, and also our school, the Kellogg's Entrepreneur Program, uh, led by Linda and Sunny. Um, I worked really closely with them over the summer, and then anything that goes on at school, they send it my way as well. So, just. I mean, a lot of times you keep that kind of relationship and then people know about what you're doing. If they see something, they'll send it your way. And then that's where you can see some of the opportunities coming. It's the Clean Tech University Prize, right? Sure. That you go mm -hmm. after. Mm -hmm. So it's $50,000. Yeah. It's a grant from the Department of Energy. You say, hey, I, you know, and I, I want... The money, the publicity, what what were the driving factors for you, Henry? I think out of anything, oh, first of all, money's good. Money's you good. Never, money's always you good. never turn away money, especially a startup. I, I made a mistake once turning away a million dollars. So I won't make another I won't make that mistake again. And a second part I think for most importantly is really for validation. Um, I mean I've been in the business for two and a half years now and I think I really believe that what I do has its own value. And now that we have customers that are paying to use our service, um, that's a strong validation, but also just be on stage and being able to compete and really showcase our company. And, and that's interesting because now you really are the salesman. Yeah. You're not the coder, right, anymore. Never. <laughs> Never, right? But now you have to represent the business. You. The way that the competition works is a Clean Energy Trust selects, is it eight university teams with promising ideas, and then you you present your idea to a, a panelist of judges, right? Sure, yes. That's um, true, that's true. Um, so we were the eight semifinalists. I think there were a lot of um, applications that they received. Yeah. And we had to do the first round of screen uh, screening, and there was like an eight semifinals for Midwest Division. So that's just a a, a region. How long did it take from uh, from start to finish? Was it a six month process of initially applying and then? I think it was continue? less than that. It was probably a three to four month process. Okay. Yeah, from initially found out about this, applying for it, and then found out that we we're one of the finalists, and then get prepared, and then till the competition. I think the problem is more of I'm trying to steering my company uh, to profitability to make a product go live, but I also have to devote time to make sure that I do well in this competition. So 
where do I spend time in this? And and that that's a big challenge. And and I just had to keep telling myself this is this is this is really important. It's really big. You you need to you need to make sure that you have a good um, good pitch. Uh, and then uh, CET did a great job of assigning um, a mentor, actually two mentors to us, and also do a practice pitch for us. I think my first practice pitch was very just. Uh, I literally, I literally just took an investor deck and then I just presented it. Uh, it was very text heavy, um, and, and and at the end my feedback was uh, you need more pictures. <laughs> so so I mean at least they 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 understood what exactly what I was doing and then they they really liked it. But it just my my deck wasn't wasn't uh, presentation friendly, so I had to really do an overhaul. What did you want to convey to the judges about Aerospec and why it's important to the world? Sure, sure. Uh, it's actually very, very clear what I want to convey. First point is, there's a legit problem that we're solving. Uh, I show it through data. Two is, we have a solution that, that is solving that problem. And um, we don't, we don't, we're, not, we're not in the exploratory mode anymore. We have paying customers in the industry are using our product. So that's a market validation. There is value in this. And I have shown st stats that's shown how are we changing it. The last point is, this is meaningful. We've shown that by using our product, by using our solution, we are accelerating the adoption of renewable energy technology in, uh, in our country, in the world as a whole, because our, our solution is actually region agnostic. So that we're really helping um, to do our part in terms of turning away from fossil fuel. Okay. Um... And one thing that I noticed about your presentation was that it was very slick. Mm -hmm. You had you know, moving pictures and seamless transitions. That had to take some time. You probably spent a lot of time on that, right? Yes, I can tell you how much time I spent on it. I spent time on it since June. So it's not, it's not that I was preparing for this competition since June, but it's that there's so much, actually before June, uh, April. So. It's accumulation of all the things that I have been doing since in 2017, and again I had to give I had to give contributions to to uh, Kellogg and Northwestern. They actually helped me pay a professional company um, to polish my slides. So that's that's the kind of support that I'm willing to give. That's great. That's great. So you practice off and on for about three months. Mm-hmm. Pitch day comes, right? Yeah. What are you feeling? I was, uh, I was feeling very nervous. I think when I saw, I didn't know which number I was presenting until I got to, I got to the competition, and when I saw I was fifth, I was like, crap, this is bad. Um, because from a psychological standpoint, you either want to go first or you want to go last, and in the middle is not that great. Um, it's hard to make an impression for the judges to last longer. And so, uh, at first I was like, man, this is not good. Um, but again, I was the fifth one, that's it, I, I had to deal with it. And then before, um, before I was getting on the stage, uh, the nervousness really hit. Um, and then I get back to um, a TED talk I, I used to watch, it's by, um, what's her name, Amy, um, she's a professor at Harvard Cuddy. Business. Yeah, Amy Kelly, a Harvard Business School professor, about the the confidence pose and things. Take a deep breath, 
I mean, some of the things that you just have to kind of mentally prepare yourself for. And I want to I want to make sure that I do things a little differently on stage so that it creates a longer impression. And one of the examples is I, I didn't stand in front of podium. Like there is a podium on stage, but I purposely stood on the opposite side of the podium. Uh, one is to be uh, more natural because I don't like the podium to block me and the audience. And two is um, by standing across from the podium, I was actually able to see the timer much better. I have certain things I want to hit during the presentation, but then when you're on the presentation, you're going against the clock. You want to make sure you get your content through and and you want to make sure you, you act naturally. So there are multiple things that are running through my head that I was always afraid that I might have missed a point or two that I want to drive home. And so, you know, the judges convene, they have their decision, Yeah. and they use the 3-2-1 format. As you're going through that moment where you realize you're not called in third place, you're not called in, you know, in second place, are you thinking, maybe I missed this thing? Um... Actually, I, I didn't think that way. Okay. Um, once the second, third and second place was called, I was pretty confident that I was going to win it. Um, I saw all the 18th presentation, and I really thought that um, our team, the biggest advantage that our team had was the market validation from our clients. And that's what really a true, potentially successful startup has to be. You can't just keep experimenting your stuff. You have to bring your product, your idea to the market and let the market decide whether you, your, um, your product or service are legit. And then, and then you know, the announcement comes. First place winner is Aerospec. How are you feeling in that moment when you win? Um, I was really, really excited. Um, the first thing I thought about is I want to share this news with my team. Awesome. And... Uh, so you win $50,000. You also go to D.C. in June, is it? Houston. Oh, to Houston. Okay, in June. Yeah. Um, a, what, what are you going to do with the money? <laughs> if, you can, if you can say. Of course. Okay. Uh, all the money is going to go to R&D. We have a lot to do. We have a lot of uh, product refinement. <clears throat> and uh, there's a lot I want to do in, uh, in my vision to really... Um, to explore and unleash the full potential of this drone technology and data analytics. Mm -hmm. So 50,000 is way not enough, but it's, it's great to have it as a starting point. And when you go to Houston, do you want to keep the message the same as you did the first time around with, with this past competition, or do you want to change some things up? I think it'll be mostly the same the only difference is going to be how much more traction we got. Uh, we are under advanced conversation with a few more clients who are really, really um, big in terms of representing the industry. So further validation, more refinement, our product iteration is super quick. So I think it's just going to be better product, uh, more client validation, and then probably more partnerships. Where do you see Aerospec being in your future 10 years, 20 years down the line? I hope Aerospec can really bring process automation and 
and robotic automation to the renewable energy industry. We actually thought about a really, really uh, interesting model for Aerospec. So it is harness energy anywhere. So it's the three words, um, and there's a lot behind it. So one of the fact is that if you think about the area of Sahara Desert in Africa, the entire global consumption of energy can be supplied if we put solar panels in almost, not even all of the Sahara um, Desert. And with autonomous vehicles, autonomous robots doing the maintenance, drones doing the inspections, that can actually happen. And if that happens, I'll be really, really uh, excited. And that's what I mean by harness energy anywhere. Do you see going back into the corporate world as an option? No. Where do you want to be in 10 years in terms of... Um, if Aerospec is still Aerospec. here, I would love to be part of Aerospec. Uh, if Aerospec has an exit, I think I'll be seeking my next venture um, or the next chapter in my life. But it's always going to be... Uh, something that I, I believe in that will create value or somewhat of impact uh, to the world. I followed up with Lance last month. In March, he moved his executive team from Chicago to Boston. As part of his business model, he continues to pitch a startup at Rice University, Carnegie Mellon, and China, placing in the top three in most competitions. If you want to keep up with Lance, visit Aerospec. US or follow Aerospec Technologies on LinkedIn. Once again, congratulations and thanks to Lance Lee. We look forward to monitoring his future success. If you enjoy the show, please leave a review on your podcast platform. Thanks for listening. And until next time, this is Naruki Harai for My Startup Journey. One of my friends actually knew that I love basketball, so she was like, hey, um, this company is actually looking for a part-time reporter to report an MBA. Would you like to apply? I'm like, of course I want to. So even without any media media background or any like reporting experience, I was able to get my foot in the door <clears throat> uh, somehow um, with a little bit of uh, embellishing on my previous experience on reporting. And then um, since early 2017, I started taking on this part-time gig of um, reporting on MBA, especially covering the Rockets. <laughs> and I love your story about how, uh, maybe you should tell this, the, the, the group project at, at sure, the basement sure. of the United Center. Sure, so after I, after I um, <clears throat> came to Chicago for Kellogg, I had to change the team I covered. So I had to cover Chicago Bulls, not saying I don't like them, but just giving their records, seems like Rockets is a little bit more interesting. And then last quarter, uh, it was my, also my final quarter at Kellogg, I was taking three and a half credits, which is a full time, and I was taking customer analytics by Professor uh, Florian Flo Zettel. Yeah, Fro Florian. Florian is, is one of the best professor I I seen. Very very well prepared. Loved his class. Unfortunately, I just I was taking two full times plus three and a half credits plus doing this MBA gig. It was just ridiculous. I didn't know how I got through it. Now even when I think about it, but. One of the anecdotes was that I actually had to uh, in, go to a game. I think it was Bulls versus the Suns, and then <clears throat> and then um, I was doing like the pregame interview, and then during the game, I actually was 
uh, was in the MBA media room at the United Standard uh, doing a group call for the customer analytic group project. And I was telling my teammates, I was like, you guys, were, you guys know where I am? And then they're like, where are you? I was like, I was at, I'm at United Standard media room <laughs> doing group projects while how the game was going on. So it's just like, and then after that, I had to go to go to the locker room doing the post post game interview from the from the uh, yeah, players, and then write up the article. Probably around like two o'clock. That's when I got done. Uh, and this, and then I still had to do the project. It was just, uh, I was, man, this so much work. But I was glad that I was able to get it through. I I, I can only imagine you talking strategy with a bunch of, you know, NBA beat writers. In the United Center, and they're like, "What is this guy talking about?" Yeah, five yeah. forces. Yeah, they were they were like they were like uh, photoshopping pictures from the course side, writing writing news over there, and then I was having my time talking my project with my class, with my classmates.